And friends, well, good morning once again. Uh, I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, it, I've been remembering this is like, like the first Easter since 2019 that we've been like unaffected by something re- revolving COVID. That in 2020, if some of you were here, we did socially distanced cars out in the parking lot. Saying out there, some of you remember that. Then in 2021, we had two services, an inside and an outside. And we had to move all of the equipment from here outside in between services. It was pretty crazy. And then last year, I had COVID. And y'all had to watch me on the screen as I recorded it in my office. So we just praise the Lord that I get to be here. We all get to be here today. For <laughs> Give God thanks. It's so good. It's so good to be here. I love Holy Week. It's my favorite week of the, of the church year. Um, it started on Palm Sunday. I've had a great Holy Week so far. Um, after the Palm Sunday service, uh, Laura and I, uh, we went to go see Shadowlands, a Wheaton drama, directed by our own Stan Austin. Uh, and it's a story about C.S. Lewis. Now, if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he was a British Christian author that lived from 1898, let me check my notes, to 1963. Uh, and he wrote many books, but he is probably most famous for Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, And if you still don't recognize that, he was close friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, who is the author of The Lord of the Rings. What many don't know about C.S. Lewis is that he was an atheist for a long time. He was very resistant to Christianity. He wondered, how could God make a world like the one we live in? That's a good question. It's a fair question. Now, Lewis was a professor of English literature at Oxford, and he loved stories. Specifically, he loved mythology. Uh, And his friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, was a Christian. And he helped Lewis see that the myths that he loved, the stories he loved, they, they deeply resonate with us. Because although that they are imaginary, they are rooted in something that is real. The truth of this universe. And that conversation among many helped C.S. Lewis see that Christianity is the true story that makes sense of our world story, the story that you're in, the story that I'm in. In fact, Lewis would later write this. I have it up on the screen for you. I think we do. There we go. Now, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. Now, most of you aren't familiar with the ancient myths as Lewis was, but we do love stories. In fact, I know many of you love the Lord of the Rings themselves, or perhaps Star Wars, or or Marvel, or Harry Potter, or even you gamers out there who like Mario or Zelda. Anyone see the new Mario movie? Yeah. I mean, these are all stories that point to the true story. They are completely made up by other people like us, yet something about them deeply resonates with us. Don't we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do these made-up stories mean something, resonate on the inside? Friends, I would submit to you, the reason is, is because Christianity is the true story of our world. And it's the greatest story that's ever been told. In fact, after Lewis became a Christian and came to Christ, he wrote this, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. 
Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Everything begins to make sense when you see yourself in this story. So this morning on Easter Sunday, I simply want to tell you why that I believe the story of Christianity is the true story of the world, and it's the greatest story ever told. I'm going to give you five reasons why. The first is this. Christianity has a powerful origin story. It has a powerful origin story. Most good stories, especially the superhero ones, they start off with what's called the origin story. Uh, This is how the hero gets their powers and how the whole thing begins. Without the origin story, you really can't make sense of what you're watching or what you're reading. We need to know how Spider-Man got his powers. We need to know the origins of Middle Earth. Or we need to know that Iron Man is actually a guy named Tony Stark. See, cultures all around the world, they have developed origin stories for why this world exists, why we're here. And some, some of these stories, they depict the, the gods fighting and that, you know, this story was, was made because the gods were fighting one another and it was created out of cosmic conflict. Many people today believe in an origin story that says this world just kind of accidentally appeared because of some chemical processes that were going on and we're all here over a natural process over billions of years. Now, some of those natural processes are undoubtedly true. But that origin story is neither complete or, I think, not compelling. Because origin stories need purpose. We need purpose. Our reason why all this is here and how it all happened. What is this movie about and why should I care to watch it? That's what we need to know. And the Christian story tells us that this world is not an accident tells us that you are not an accident, that you are here for a purpose. It tells us that this world was created by an all-powerful, all-benevolent being who spoke it all into existence. The Bible says that on the first day of creation, he said, let there be light, and there was light. The Christian story is not that the world was created out of violence or by accident, but it was created out of love out of love. And the Christian story teaches us that we have the capabilities we do because we were made for a significant purpose. We were made in the image of God, the maker of this universe. It means that we're qualitatively different than the animals and the plants because we were made to reflect God's goodness, His character, and His love to all creation. We have far greater faculties than animals because an intelligent being made us this way. If you will, our superpowers come from God. Superheroes don't just happen. Our power, our intelligence, our reasoning, our logic, all the things that we can do, even our love, it's derived from God. He made us to be in relationship with Him and to extend His goodness and love to all creation. So Christianity has a powerful origin story. The second uh, reason why I believe Christianity is the best story is because Christianity explains the major problems of this world. Every good story has conflict. Conflict is what drives the story to its conclusion, and it keeps us interested. And whether you are religious or not, I think we can all recognize that the world's got some problems. It's got some major problems. Now, in the ancient stories, people thought that the problems were because the gods were angry. The gods were angry with people, 
And you had to appease them by all kinds of sacrifices. That's why there's so many problems. That's why it's not raining. That's why there's no crops this year because the gods are angry with us. So some people believe that. And in today's major story, the problem is not the gods, but it's human weakness. Because if it's survival of the fittest, then we haven't evolved enough. We haven't made enough progress as a society. Just give it time and we'll solve the problems. But friends, I submit to you this morning that thousands of years of human history haven't greatly changed the major problems of the world. In fact, in many ways, there's far worse problems going on than there have been at other times. You see, prior to World War II, most people thought that uh, educated, wealthy, Christian uh, Europe and America would, would take people to utopia, that all the scientific progress that was happening would lead people and finally solve the problems of the world. But with all the so-called progress of the 20th century, it was the most murderous and violent of any century in human history. You just think about World War I, World War II, all the wars of the la- that last century. In fact, all the unnamed wars in all kinds of places. It was the most violent century to date. And it doesn't seem to me like the 21st humanity is doing that much better. Why? Why can't humanity, why can't we get our act together? I don't think the world has a good answer. But the Bible, the Christian story, traces it back to three main enemies. The root of all these issues. And I'm going to give you three S's. They're sin, Satan, and separation from God. Those are the three main enemies. See, in the Bible's origin story, soon after humanity was created, we were deceived by a spiritual enemy. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about this enemy. He's called Satan, uh, which is a Hebrew word that means the, the accuser. And his goal is to deceive us, trick us into sin, so that, so that he can accuse us and condemn us before God. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve, the original humans in the beginning. What is sin? Sin is ultimately rebellion against the creator of this universe. It's anything contrary to his good and perfect will for us, his creatures. And essentially, I think it's choosing selfishness over love for God and others. So what's wrong with the world? Sin is what's wrong with the world. Sin is what's wrong with us. Sin is what's behind all of the violence and the, the racism, the sexism, the, the greed, the lust, the injustice, and the apathy about it all. We don't want God to be king over us. We want to be our own God. But you ask, man, well, we know that this is a problem, but why does it continue to persist? Persist? How, how is evil so pervasive, even though that most people know better? Well, friends, I would contend to you it's because we, there is a real spiritual power at work in this world. There's a real spiritual enemy. And the Bible says that other people, no matter, no, matter how, no matter how evil other people are, they are not the real enemy. They are not the real enemy. There's a spiritual power at work enticing us to evil, and we fall for it time and time again. And what happens is we, become, we get used to it. We become habituated to it. In fact, we become enslaved or even addicted to it. And this sin separates us from a holy God. See, after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were excommunicated from the presence of God, a holy God. And without God's life-giving presence, they were surely going to die. 
So humanity has three main enemies, sin, Satan, and separation from God. And these three enemies, they cause three really big problems, guilt, bondage, and death. Because of sin, we stand guilty before our Maker. And sin in its power, it, it, it binds us. We remain in bondage to it. And because of all this, we're separated from God, and that will lead to our death. You know, no one really likes thinking about death, do we? But we ought to think about it. Because it's the one thing that we know for sure that will happen to every single one of us. That's like the only thing you know for sure is that that's going to happen. So we ought to think about it. And if this world is right, well, death is just a natural process and then there's, not, there's nothing to be worried about. It's all done. But then I ask you, well, why does it feel so wrong? Why does it fill us with so much grief? Why do we long to see those we love again? Is it not, do we not find this desire in our hearts? And if that desire is in our hearts, where did that come from? Friends, it comes from God. He made you for eternity. He made you to live forever with Him. We're living in a different story. We're living in God's story. So this world, it is suffering under sin and Satan and separation from God. How will this conflict be resolved? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> My third point, Christianity has the most compelling rescue story. It has the most compelling rescue story. See, every good story has a satisfying uh, re re resolution to the conflict, to the problems. Now, spoiler alert, the Death Star gets destroyed. The ring gets thrown into the fire. Voldemort is defeated. Good triumphs over evil. This is the story of the Bible. God rescuing us and defeating evil. Now, for some reason, the world loves these rescue stories, stories of, of love where, where people sacrifice themselves at, at, at great peril in order to save others. And if this world just happened to come into existence, if the, if the fittest ought to survive or maybe even destroy the weak, then a rescue story doesn't really make much sense. Why would you do that? Unless God put in us this desire for a rescue story. Now, one of my favorite rescue stories uh, happens to be in the Harry Potter series, um, which, by the way, is a, a wonderful, almost Christian allegory. Um, now, I hope you can follow along with me and hope most of you have read or seen the movies. Uh, so when, in that series, when Harry was a child, he was attacked by the evil dark lord Voldemort, uh, who is really the satanic figure in the series. And because of that, unbeknownst to him, he somehow carried part of Voldemort in him. And so in the end, he realizes in order for Voldemort to die, Harry would have to die. And he bravely sacrifices himself in almost a final battle with Voldemort, and he lets Voldemort kill him. But Harry goes to the afterlife and gets to come back to life and because he was killed, that part of Voldemort is now killed, so he could defeat Voldemort and save Hogwarts and save the day. Friends, as funny as it is, I think that's a very powerful picture of what Jesus did for us. You see, God had to find a way to defeat the evil, to defeat the sin and death. 
And he did that by taking it into himself and killing it. You see, on the cross, Jesus took all of our sin. The Bible says he actually became sin for us. He took the curse for us. He took it upon himself. And all the sin that's ever been committed, all the sin that's ever will be committed, it was nailed to the cross. It was killed there on the cross. And so the blood of Jesus, it now covers all of your sin. And that's why we say the cross brings forgiveness. And by Jesus' death, he has destroyed completely Satan's power over us. Because now we know the truth of who God is. We know the truth of his love. We know the truth of our forgiveness. We know the truth of our, for our redemption. And now we're free. He can no longer accuse us as he, was, as he is uh, designed, to, as he is not designed, but as he is purposing to do. The Bible says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And on that cross, Jesus, fully God, fully man, he took death into himself. Jesus took death down into the grave. And when he arose on Easter Sunday, he left it there. He left it there. Jesus defeated death once and for all on the cross. And that is why Easter is so important for Christians. Because between the, rock, the cross and the resurrection, we believe that God has saved the world. God has saved the world. He has res- every problem of evil has been resoundingly defeated. He has forgiven our sin. He has defeated Satan. He has destroyed death and our separation from God. As we sang earlier, we're one with Him again. We're all drawn back to the Father, our Maker, who made us. Because Jesus died on that cross, because he rose again, friends, you are forgiven, you are free, and you're fully alive in Christ. We've been rescued from sin's grasp, we've been freed from Satan's lies, and we've been freed from death's power. And I love how the Bible taunts this almost. Where, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Come on! I'm going to live forever in Christ. It has no victory over me. This is the best rescue story, and it's the best rescue story because it's the best love story. Because God loves you. Jesus rescued a world in darkness. Now, most people, I don't think, most people would not give their lives for somebody else. Some might die for a really good person. But the Bible says, while we were still sinners, whilst we were still far from God, while we were still doing our, going our own way, while we were so indifferent to this story and what he's done, he died for us. He died for you. God himself came to rescue us so that we could spend eternity with him. And that leads me to my next point, is that Christianity has a beautiful end, ending See, every good story needs a satisfying conclusion. But if the world's right, then this world's all there is. This world's all there is, and it's just done. That's it. And that, to me, that is the worst ending I could imagine. Because if that's true, all the injustices that have happened will never get resolved. Then this life has no real ultimate meaning or, or purpose. Just, just do whatever you want then. If that's true, there's no hope of seeing other people again. Now, other religions, they might believe in a vague kind of state of the afterlife, some type of nirvana, or other, there's other stories that say, well, we might be reincarnated, maybe in a worse life if we didn't live a good enough life here. 
or we hope for some afterlife, if we can live good enough to please God, maybe, maybe we'll be there in the end. But friends, Christianity has the best news. It has the best news of love. Because in Christianity, we believe that in the end, evil is defeated. Injustices and every wrong that's ever happened will be righted. Creation itself with all of its decay will be renewed and will live happily ever after with God because He loves us and He forgives us through Jesus. And friends, we don't believe in a vague afterlife in the clouds. Christians believe in the resurrection. That means that the afterlife will be in real bodies on a real place like this, a renewed earth with God. And in that place, there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sickness, no more aching bodies, no more violence. We'll see humans and animals and all created things living in perfect harmony as we were created to. And we'll be in the perfect presence of God rejoicing forever and ever. It will be amazing. One final point why I believe Christianity is the true story and the greatest story ever told is because Christianity also gives you a role in this story. I mean, stories are fun to watch or they're fun to read, uh, but sometimes haven't you wished that you could wield your own lightsaber? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, I heard Brooks, got, or Brooks you got a lightsaber for Easter. Yeah. You have to build it. Okay, that's awesome. You see, you proved my point. We want to wield the lightsaber. We want to help Harry at Hogwarts. We want to, we want to walk with Frodo to Mordor. We want to be part of the, the mission to redeem this world. And see, Christianity is the best of stories because you don't just get to watch it, you get to participate in it. And the resurrection is not just about the afterlife. It's about God renewing all things right now. See, the end of the story is bringing us back to the beginning, and that's what John's gospel that Sky read for us earlier uh, was subtly communicating. Now, um, I want to read to you from right before John chapter 20. Uh, this is the final verses that we read for our Good Friday service, um, if you happen to be here. But it, this is right after Jesus uh, is killed on the cross. John 19, verses 41 through 42 says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. Hmm. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. See, friends, when God made the world, humanity lived, lived in a paradise with him called the Garden of Eden. We were made to be in a garden with God, but they were expelled from the garden. They were, they were expelled from it because of sin and the result that they would die. Now, Jesus dies and his body is placed in a garden. It's placed in a garden. Death itself, God is going back into the garden. And then John chapter 20 opens with this, early on the first day of the week. See, if you know the Christian origin story, when God created the world, on the first day of the week, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Friends, God is doing it again with Jesus. 
The resurrection of Jesus is about God bringing light in the darkness again. It's about a new world, new life, bursting back forth into this decaying one. And then when Jesus' friend, Mary Magdalene, she first sees the risen Jesus, she mistakes him for a gardener. But you have to ask, is she really mistaken? Is she really mistaken? Because God is the original gardener. He planted the Garden of Eden. He planted this world, so to speak, and commissioned us to go live in it and till it and make it beautiful. And here God is again in the flesh, being mistaken for a gardener. You see, God wants to redeem this world. He wants to heal this world. He wants to see new life burst forth right in the midst of this one. He wants to see a global harvest of people who will allow Jesus into their life to bring love and light and hope and healing to this broken, decaying world. And it gets better. The evening on the day Jesus rose again, it says, He came to His disciples. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you know the Christian origin story, I hope you do. It says, When God made humans, He created them out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed life into them. And we came alive. And here Jesus is, God in the flesh, breathing again on us, breathing on his disciples, saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Come alive in a way that you've never been alive before. Come experience my life, my power, my presence, my peace, my very life in you. That's what Easter is about. He sends us to go work in the garden of his world, planting beautiful flowers of love everywhere we go until he comes again to finally defeat evil and renew all things. Friends, I would submit to you this morning that all the stories of the world that we love, they point to the one true story that God has written on our hearts. You love these stories because you're in this story. It's a true story. And it's the greatest story that's ever been told. Are you starting to see how this story is the true story? Are you starting to see that once you find yourself in this story, it begins to make sense of everything else? If this story is true, and it is, then we must accept it. We must believe. We must surrender our lives to the God of this universe. We have to receive His salvation and His love. You see, God honors your freedom. He will not force you. He will not coerce you. Love doesn't do that. But God did all this. He died on the cross. He rose again so that you would freely choose him to be your Lord, to be your king and your God. So as I close this morning, I actually, I would love to give you an opportunity because I believe this story is true. I'm staking my life on this story. And I want you to believe it too. And so I want to give you an opportunity to just to, to pray right now because Jesus is, is alive. He hears you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. So I'm, I'm going to say a prayer that will help you receive Jesus into your life to experience his power. As I pray, I invite you to repeat after me quietly or in the quiet of your heart. You're welcome to do that. But if you feel God tugging at your heart, if you feel the Spirit drawing you into this story, I invite you to respond. 
Because if you do, you will, you will see how Jesus changes everything. And if you mean this prayer, you will be saved and you'll begin an amazing journey of following him. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this amazing story. We thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for overcoming death and for the promise of new life. I believe. I trust in you as my Savior. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I receive the free gift of your salvation. Help me to follow you as my Lord and as my King. Amen.